Hi, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off. We are Katie and Beth, and we are pre-PA clinic and here to help you get into PA school and then get through PA school. We are so excited to bring you today's episode, but before we get there, we have something really special to tell you. If you are brand new to the physician assistant career, then you definitely need to check out our book that will tell you everything you need to be a rock star, super competitive applicant. This is the tell-all go-to guide for exactly what you need to know to be the strongest candidate so you don't have to reapply the next cycle. It has all the what to do's and what not to do that we saw when we worked at PA programs and reviewed CASPA applications and interviewed candidates and chose who to accept. It also has what prereqs to aim for and how many hours of patient care, volunteer, shadowing hours to get, how to get the strongest letters of recommendation, what to do if you have made a few C's, how to pick programs so that you can get into PA school your first cycle and so much more. We know what you need to get into PA school, so let's you get you accepted into PA school. Check it out in the show notes. And now on to today's episode. We all have different paths in life and how this last two years has been probably the most interesting path any of us have ever taken. Yes, yeah, so and true. And where it's going to lead us, you know? No, I love that because, you know, it's true, and that's one thing that we believe, too, you know, that if you have a dream or a path or something, it's there for a reason, and so, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, we would never thought that, you know, we would be here right now. COVID has knocked a few people off, like, you know, everybody's got their, like, plan for their life, and then this world event happened, and all of a sudden, your life looks different than you thought it would. Well, welcome, Dr. Harbert, to Where the White Coats Come Off. To get started, tell us a little bit about your background. My background is kind of interesting. I went in the military and I served in Vietnam and I became a Navy hospital corpsman. And when I left the service, actually I went to nursing school. First of all, I went to community college and got an associate degree, then I went on to nursing school. And uh, in those days, the PA profession was starting and so were nurse practitioners. And so my nursing dean wanted me to become a nurse practitioner and I told her I was going to apply to a PA program. And she thought I would just, she gave me a long lecture about being a sorceress of apprentice. <laughs> that I was going to come between the physician and the nurse. And anyway, so I applied to 18 PA programs. I got into 16 of them. Uh, the irony of that is that the other two programs invited me 20 years later to speak to their students. So <laughs> I spoke at Drexel 20 years after, and I pointed to the guy in the audience. I said, well, that's the reason I'm not, I never went to school here. And he stood up and he said, I thought you were going to medical school. Really, really? And I thought, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but I went, to, I went to the State University of New York, Stony Brook, with a class of 30 students. Really interesting. It was a, it was a unique health science program started by Edmund Pellegrino. It was a three-year medical school program, a three-year PA program. And what they did was integrate the PA training with the medical school training. So for the first, first year of our PA training, we took classes with second-year med students. And we took radiology with them, anatomy and physiology, um, and a great course called Patients, Practitioners, and Disease where we would all go to various clinics, even in our didactic phase, and uh, work with patients, basically, as a patient advocate. So that's kind of what started me. And then 
I graduated from Stony Brook and I got offered a number of jobs, one in Alaska in the Transatlantic Pipeline, another to go back in the military, another uh, to do some other things. And I was teaching at that time at Allegheny Community College PA program. And I was running that and I was also working in psychiatry at Western Psychiatric Institute and Clinic. And literally I was called from Alaska and asked to come up there and work in the pipeline and I turned that job down because I enjoyed teaching and I enjoyed working in the clinic. And I chose psychiatry but no other PAs were doing psychiatry back in the early 70s because I didn't know anything about psychiatry. I knew a lot about emergency medicine and trauma because I had served in the military and did that in Vietnam and other places. So I was really up to speed on internal medicine and emergency medicine, but I knew nothing about psychiatry. So I spent about four or five years in psychiatry. Then I went to Washington, D.C., and that led me into being a hospitalist. And I was a hospitalist. I worked in the trauma room for a while at Geisinger Medical Center, and I was did a couple other things. I was in family medicine and in occupational medicine. I worked at a tertiary care medical center, Geisinger Medical Center, for 10 years. And I was in charge of all the PAs, nurse practitioners, and then nurse midwives as an administrator. And at the same time, I was also working in a clinic. I worked in the emergency room. So that was that was a lot of fun, and I worked on a trauma team. So that was that was a lot of fun doing that because I was able to create a lot of positions for PAs. I left when we had about 350 PAs. Wow. And I went to New Mexico and went into academia. And uh, from then, I, I was in academia for a number of years. In New Mexico, I worked clinically for the Center for Disaster Medicine. got involved in things like Katrina and a bunch of other stuff. Went back into occupational medicine, and interestingly enough, Dr. Kim Hall from South College called me up and said, uh, "Hey, would you like to uh, would you like to look at this job in Tennessee?" And I did, and I spent ten years there as as the dean, and uh, had a lot of fun with that PA program and the people there, who I still consider my my family in a lot of ways. They were very close to me, and uh, it was the best experience I had probably 30 years of academia so that's how I got started yeah that's a, an amazing journey you know all the way from back in the military to moving into civilian world becoming a PA moving into academia so you've really seen the PA profession from all sides and so how have you seen the kind of the PA profession change over the last you know 20 30 years because you've been so such an integral part of you know teaching the next generation how have you seen the shift well it's shifted in a lot of different ways. And, and along the way, I worked in a number of different areas. I was in the house, first House of Delegates. I was in the American Academy PAs. I, I helped uh, with another group of people, with a team of people, actually four of us. We developed the guidelines for hospitals, utilization of PAs. I worked on reimbursement for PAs. I worked with the Veterans Administration in getting PAs settled in the Veterans Administration. And, you know, I graduated as a physician associate, which is very interesting. And I recently talked to a class and told them that in 1971, it was published that a physician assistant was an individual who needed a close supervision by a physician. A physician associate 
was an individual who had graduated and who had independence of the physician and was able to do counseling, medical education, and had a very important role as a health science person. And so we've done a 360-degree change from being physician assistants now to being physician associates. And the irony of that is I've always been a physician associate, so for over 45 years I've had that title, but I've never really used it. It's on my diploma, and it's on my first passing of the national boards. Yeah. But I think what has changed huh. is that no, no one would have thought in the 1970s that PAs, number one, would be doing what they're doing today, which is PAs are working in every specialty area of physicians. And I'm kind of a unique person in being a PA because I was director of medical education for a while in Washington, D.C., where I was in charge of training residents and fellows, and I was responsible for a residency training program in internal medicine, pediatrics, orthopedic surgery, and general surgery with Howard University and George Washington University. And later, I went on to teach in two different medical schools, George Washington University and Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. And in both those places, I found that there was a lot of similarities between medical education and physician assistant education. Because when you go to medical school, you're really considered to be an undergraduate medical education until you go into your residency. And the difficulty for a lot of physicians is they're really concerned that they see physician assistants graduating in two and a half years. They've spent four years in a, in a medical school, and they're concerned that a PA is not going to be as efficient as or effective. And that really comes from a lot of ignorance in a lot of ways because we all work as a team. It doesn't matter if you're an attending physician, if you've been a physician for 30 years, you need a team of people to work with you. And PAs bring a lot to the table. I mean, I've seen situations where PAs in practice actually are better than some of the physicians they work with because they've had more experience. Perfect example is a person that worked with me who was working in the EP lab as an electrophysiologist. He worked with a physician. And nine times out of ten, uh, the cardiologists relied on the, the individuals who were doing the EP studies would call a physician assistant first rather than doc. And the reason for that is the PA had a PhD in physiology, but had a better understanding of how to relate the historical information about the patient to the physician, to the cardiologist in a way that would really be helpful rather than just relying on what was found in the test. And I can give you story after story of that. I mean, when we ran out of, we had a we had a problem with our residency program in OBGYN, and we needed individuals to work in a hospital to make up for that loss because we had lost our residency. The only force that we had were the PAs who had worked were working in OBGYN outpatient clinics, because every PA student has surgical experience. Sure. So the beauty of that is that we were able to transfer those individuals from an outpatient clinic to an inpatient clinic. So the beauty of PAs today is that they're extremely flexible. 
you do not have to have one position for the rest of your life. You do not have mm -hmm. to have one specialty. Because we train generalists, you can move around, unlike a lot of physicians, and go from one specialty to another. So you can work in orthopedics, you can work in family practice, you can work in general surgery, you can work in just about anything. I mean, a good example is Haley, who just recently flew around around the world as an astronaut. She worked at she works at St. Jude's and she's in pediatric medicine, but she was a medical officer on a spacecraft. So I mean, that yeah. founding is essential to what PAs do. And what I've seen change is that all of a sudden, when we see patients, we don't have to go into a lengthy, lengthy description of what a PA is. Yes. Well, I'm a PA. Well, you train. What does that mean? Today, more and more PAs are accepted because there are more and more PAs out there who are doing an outstanding job. The other thing is the shift has occurred, though I think it will repeat itself, from primary care to specialty care. The beginning of the PA profession, ironically, at, at Duke University, was with Dr. Stead, where he envisioned PAs working in hospitals. But at the same time on the West Coast, Dr. Richard Smith envisioned PAs working in rural areas and medically underserved areas. So we had two different legacies of our profession. And they've come really together because if you look at the way PAs practice in the West, they're very rural, they're very medically underserved. If you look at the East Coast, they're more hospital-based. But that's changing almost every day because there's a greater need now for PAs in rural areas and primary care than there ever has been. The other thing that's changed is that we're starting to look at ourselves as true professionals. So that's why we changed our name to physician associate. And that's why we're starting to say, you know, we can do about 80 to 90% of what a family practitioner does as a physician, which is an extremely hard job to do because you've got to deal with anything that walks in the door. So you've got to be a little bit of an orthopedist, a little bit of a psychiatrist, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And we're able to do those kinds of things. And so I think that what has happened is our profession has changed dramatically. I also would like to say the military has changed dramatically from PAs who are now leaders in, in the military. No longer are they just working in clinics. They're working as deputy chiefs. They're working in charge of hospitals. There's one PA who just recently became an inspector general of the United States Army. Wow. There are PAs who are generals and admirals. So we have really risen to a, an area that is just incredible as far as our profession in the measly 50 years. And that certainly goes for women in our profession, diversity and inclusion, and we certainly have that. We have PAs who are women who are doing incredible things, not only uh, doing clinical work and leadership work. We have a PA who's actually been in Congress, Karen Bass. And she's stepping down now to try to go for mayor of Los Angeles. So we have people like her who are stepping up doing things that really, really affect health policy and health care for people on a global nation and a national nation, national level. Yeah, it really is amazing to see 
how things have changed over the decades and how far we've come in such a short period of time. Tell us a, I'm sure you have tons of tips for our listeners who are mainly like pre-PA students and current PA students. What tips do you have for them as far as getting into PA school? Well, the interesting thing to me is that we've become a lot like, our profession has become a lot like medical schools. So in the beginning of our profession, we were very innovative in looking at people who are applying to PA school. Uh, And I say that because, as I mentioned, I had 30 people in my PA school. And recently I wrote an article with another, uh, one of my classmates who published an article entitled, um, uh, Once We Were Many, Now We Are One. And it was about all 30 of the PAs who graduated 47 years later. Wow. And if you look at those individuals, you can look at one of the guys who went into that program. He didn't even have a bachelor's degree. And yet today he's in charge of PAs and residents in a uh, local hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Another woman is in charge of an ICU in Ellsworth in in New York. Uh, I mean, she runs the ICU. Uh, Another woman is out in Oregon. She's a physician now. And she has six PAs that work with her, and she does Native American health care. Another PA um, became a chief operating officer, and now he works in Europe, and he's running a, a number of programs developing blue zones, which is these zones of healthy environments and healthy communities around the world. So we've gotten a little bit away from looking at people who might not be a 3.8 or better in college. To uh, forget, we kind of forget the people who really can make a difference. And to me, that that means being a humanist. And personally, I would say that both of you are true humanists. We really, you really Aww. care about people. You really care about taking care of people. Well, thank you. And for that. I think that, you're welcome. I think today, <laughs> and I mean that in my heart. I think today, being a PA, a pre-PA, wanting to go to PA school. You really got to look at the 265 PA programs, and you really need to think about applying to at least 15 or 20 of them. Because you don't want to just apply. You know, some people just want to apply to one school. And let's face it, the school you went to gets about 3,000 applicants every year. So if you're one among 3,000 people, you really have to stand out. And I'm convinced that we really need to focus on individuals who are people who really, one, want to care for people, two, that are compassionate, three, that are humanist in a way that they really understand the human nature of life itself and healthcare, and three, we need to pick, pick people who are who have some practical, direct patient experience. I'm not talking about shadowing. I'm talking about direct patient experience. And, and lastly, I think that we owe it to the medics and the corpsmen, the women and men who have served in the military, who have incredible skills to add value to our PA programs. And I say that because the best PA program is a program that has a mix of individuals, not only diversity, but inclusion of different individuals who have come from different backgrounds and are able to do the kind of intensity that a PA program requires. 
And I think it's very hard sometimes for students who are non-traditional who might be older to say, well, you know, I had a great, I graduated with a great GPA, but I did really bad poorly in my, my first year of college. Well, that's really going to affect your cumulative GPA, which is going to affect you getting in PA school. And there are ways you can work around that by taking advanced courses, graduate courses, or online courses. But it's very difficult these days to get admitted to PA school because, and this is just my opinion, PA schools today look at outcomes. They want somebody they know that, complete, that can complete the program and that can pass the boards. So they're really going to focus on somebody they think is really going to make it. When I was at, when I was at a PA program, I started eight PA programs. When I was at a PA program, I always focused on, let's take a 360-degree view of what this person is really like. Are they a team player? Are they academically prepared? Are they going to be able to make it through? Are they going to work with others? Are they going to help others? Are they going to be there for others? Do they have, have experience in working with human beings? And to me, that was important in selecting people to go into PA school. And, you know, we all, when we're on admissions committees, we all make, we all make choices. And sometimes people choose people that are similar to people they had in PA school. Sure. Sometimes people choose people that they think are going to be just outstanding academically without remembering that there's more than just academic background. There's that humanistic idea of human value. What is this person going to bring to the profession? And I think those things are important. But let me repeat what I said before. If I was going to give advice to, to somebody who wanted to go into PA school, and by the way, my grandson wants to do that for some reason. <laughs> awesome. I, I told him this, and that is check your schools out carefully. See if you can learn as much as you can about the school you're going to apply to. Understand how you learn and apply how you learn best to the school you want to go to and apply to more than 15 schools. You have that option through CASPA. You have the ability to apply to more than one school and go for it. And don't forget the smaller schools. You know, everybody wants to focus on Yale and Duke and Quinnipiac those kinds of schools, and they're great schools, but the smaller schools have a lot to offer too, um, and particularly schools that are just getting started. So it's really important to understand where you want to go for graduate education. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you bring up the fact that, you know, it's not all about GPA because we do tell our students this on our podcast that that is one aspect of your application, but we can teach you medicine. If you're willing to learn and you have, you know, a, a level of critical thinking that we can teach, we can teach you medicine, but the hard part is teaching you compassion or teaching you professionalism or teaching you to really connect with your patients. And so if you already come in with those skills, those are the students that really, really seem to shine in PA school and they're not always the 4.0 students. They're not always the ones with the best you know test results on paper but we found that you know if you're just talking about like 
uh, PAs that make a difference in their patients' lives and that are really, really um, competent at work and their patients absolutely love and trust them, it's usually because of the humanistic reasons that you talked about. It's because they have compassion, because they have empathy, because they truly care about their patients. So I love the fact that you brought that up. And so it's so true. You know, GPA is just a number. It doesn't correlate whether or not you're going to be a great PA or not. It's just one aspect of your application. And we care enough about all the other aspects, which is why we require patient care hours and why we want to see letters of recommendation and why we want to meet you during our interviews because we really are looking for that student like Dr. Harvard said that really matches with our program that we think is going to do well at our program but also be a great ambassador not only for our program but also for the profession as well. Before we finish today's episode, we want to tell you about something we are doing that we have never done before and we know is going to be so incredibly valuable to you. We have an application to acceptance course that shows you exactly how to create your most competitive application, and it's a game changer for helping you get into PA school. But here's what we are doing. When you sign up for our application to acceptance course, we are going to go through every single piece with you every week. So not only do you get the course, but you get us every week to help you personally create your strongest CASPA application. We help you get your personal statement done and make sure it's epic, help create your strongest CASPA experience descriptions and everything in between so that you are ready to submit when CASPA opens and not just submit, but submit with confidence and your most competitive application so you can land interviews. Let's get you into PA school. Sign up in the show notes. I totally agree with you. And I also think that you know, today we use interesting watchwords like patient-centered, but we forget where that term came from. Carl Rogers, a clinical psychologist, was the one that used that, and he was booed off stage when he was addressing the American Psychology Association back in the oh, late 50s, because basically he was talking about in order to be a psychologist, in order